0: Uh, Father God Lord, I want to thank you for this conference Lord. Uh, Every year it's it's one of my favorite times to get to see brothers and sisters from across the country who are like-minded and like uh, our faith Lord and the same purpose and mission. Lord, I pray that we can strengthen each other throughout this weekend Lord. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that your word and your your Son can strengthen us, bring us closer together, and fire us up to go back to our campuses, to our universities, to our lives. And to live in your name, Lord. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty. My thing went away. Hold on just one second. All righty. So we're talking about Revive My Faith. And so I ran across this little story that I'm going to read to you guys. A small boy was riding a bus. Home from Sunday school, he was very proud of this card he had received. Have you ever seen a kid get a card and be like really stoked about it or get like something? Emmett got a birthday card this week. And it was, there was a dog on the front and it had a little Darth Vader helmet on it. And he loves Star Wars. And on the inside, it said, happy birthday from the bark side. And once Emmett got like dark bark, he was like going around waving this card from the bark side you get it from the bark side like dark and it's a dog like Darth Vader and he is so stoked about this card and he is showing like everyone that comes over so this kid he's got this card from Sunday school and he's waving it around which had a picture and a caption which read have faith in God and so he's on the bus and he's waving this card around right He's waving it, and you know how kids are. The bus windows are open, and it's all crazy, and the wind is going, and he's waving it, and <laughs> out the window. This kid gets sad, and he's like, my, my faith, I've lost my faith. And one of the parents on the bus was like, oh, man, that's really sweet. He's lost his faith, and he's like, he's just so worried about it, right? And one of the adults says, wouldn't it be something if we were all that worried about our faith? Because honestly, we can wave our faith around all willy-nilly, right? Like it doesn't really mean anything. And we can put our faith in the dumbest things, right? Some of you may say, well, I don't have faith. That's not true. You may not think you have faith in God. Your faith in God may struggle, but we all put our faith in something. When we got up this morning, right, you flipped on the light switch. You had faith that when you flipped the light switch the light was going to come on, right? Um, you, when you put your key in your car, right, and you start it, most of us have faith that that car is going to start. For our Crossings Church vans, we don't have the same faith. That's why the conference is in St. Louis, because we didn't know if our vans would make it. There's been many a time we've been on our way to, to a conference, Two o'clock in the morning, one of the buses breaks down and we have to get like eight minivans from members at our church to go and rescue people to take them the rest of the way to the conference. So it's, we have the conference here, all right? So we all have faith in something, right? So obviously we're not talking about the faith of a light switch, that our car is going to start, you know, up until last year, I had the faith because of 108 years that after the all-star game, the Cubs would be in last place, right? That all changed, unfortunately. But we all have faith in something because in Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Believe that he exists. Have faith that he exists and that he will reward those who earnestly. And if you know what the word earnestly means, uh, my friend Kaylin, is she in here? Kaylin is currently buying a house and she didn't know what an earnest check was. Well, whenever you put a contract on a house, you put an earnest check, which means I have a serious attitude. This is the house I'm going to buy. I'm not going to back out for any reason, unless the inspection or anything. I can't just back out to back out. And God said that he wants us to earnestly seek him. That we're so serious that we're all in on seeking him. right? And you don't do that if you don't have faith in someone. You don't put up an earnest check unless you have faith that this is the house that you should be living in. So in Greek, faith means a conviction in the truthfulness of God. A conviction. Something that you hold to. Something that binds you to it. When you look at the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11, Noah, without faith, wouldn't have spent hundreds of years building an ark for something that had never happened. They hadn't seen rain at that point in human history. So what do you mean it's going to rain? There's going to be a storm? What's a storm? God would water the ground and the plants from the ground up. But he had faith in who God was and what he said was true. Abraham, take me to a promised land. Right? Leave everything you have, uproot, and go to this land that I'm going to give you. I'm going to number your descendants. He didn't have any kids at that point. But he had faith in who God was and what he said was true. Moses and the Exodus, they had been slaves for years. They were beaten. They were cast down by the Egyptians. But God's like, you know what? I'm going to take you from here. I'm going to bring you out. And then when they get out... Trapped by this river. And what does God do? God parts the river, the sea. And they walk across. He had faith in God. Joseph and Jericho. it? Ridiculous. They walk around this city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, you're going to do it seven times. And they are going to shout and the walls are going to fall down. Who here would do that? If they just were like, hey, here's the plan. You know, try running like a ministry or a small group. Sometimes I say stuff. And people were looking at me like, you are nuts. I like, no, trust me, this is going to be great. Right? And I could just imagine. He's like, you want to walk, the march, and the thing? But he had faith in who God was and what he promised to them. Rahab, right? Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, the prophets, they all had faith in God and a conviction of the truthfulness of who God is and what he was saying was true. So who is God to me? God is the creator of all. Right? He's the ruler of everything. He's the beginning and the end. He's the loving God that sent his son down from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, to be an example, to love, to surrender and lay down his life for our sins. Right? I have a kid of two kids, right? And I couldn't see, like, the undeserving, just, hey, I'm going to give you my son. I just can't see that. I would step in before that. But he loved me that much. He loved each and every one of you that much. And what has God been saying to me? The truthfulness of God. You know, when I first became a Christian, the idea of planting churches around the St. Louis area, when I realized who God was and what he was saying to this church, I was like, all right, let's do this. All right, and I didn't know if I was going to stay or I was going to go, but I wanted to make myself and and let God equip me enough to go out and do mighty things in his name. And here we are, 12 years later, three years into a church plant, about to send out another church plant, because God says, as you go into the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be right there with you to the very end of the age. I believe those words, I believe that it was Christ that said them, and there's a conviction there. So when you look into Scripture, you've got to find out that faith needs a solid foundation. And how important is a foundation? Has anyone ever done any amount of construction work? Just a little? Just here, there? Maybe maybe like a mission trip or something? In in my summers in college, I... uh, I did construction, I did residential framing. And there were times when you go to a foundation and it was off, and we had to have the foundation come back in. Because if the foundation's off, even like a half of an inch on one corner, it messes with the whole house. You think that this looks level, but if you were to put a level on it, yeah, it might be like a quarter of an inch out of level here, but if you were to go 20 feet down, that's like two inches, right? And if the foundation isn't right, and you don't have a good foundation, later on down the road, you're gonna be two inches, two feet, 20 feet off of the mark. So you've gotta start with a solid foundation. Faith must be built upon that foundation. And there's something that we need to know. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. So much today in society, everything is based on feelings. If I feel this way, it must be true, right? If I'm offended, that person must be wrong. That's not what faith is. Faith is more than a feeling. Faith is a belief in God, a conviction in who God is and what he says, right? Faith in faith is not faith. Why have faith? If you say, why have faith? That's not the right answer. Faith in faith is not the right thing. If you put more, if faith is the main thing for you, you've missed something. You've missed the mark. You may be here and you may look good, but down the road, you've missed the mark. All right? So, a foundation must have a cornerstone. And back in the day, when they would build, they would use blocks for the foundation. And the cornerstone was the, the stone that was marked out and measured as level and square and plumb, whatever you want to call it. It was the stone that set every other stone. All right? Ephesians 2 19 through 21. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You are in God's family, right? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Faith isn't something that you're going to switch on and off like the light switch we talked about earlier. Faith is the lifestyle. It's living moment by moment, second by second, to please God, to live for Him, to trust Him. It's all day, every day, right? right. So I was reading through some stuff on faith, and uh, Dr. Stuart Briscoe he writes: the object of faith is what really matters more than anything else. Some people had strong faith and faith, nice, but never lived to tell the tale, but died by faith. They looked. well, there's ice there. Who's ever been on a a frozen pond and thought it was good, (laughs) right? And it's like, this is good. This is good. And then you get out and you're like 20 feet out. You're 20 feet from one shore, 20 feet. And then you start hearing, right? That's scary. And if we have blind faith, it's scary. But God wants us to build on a foundation, right? Others who had weak faith in thick ice were as safe as they stood on concrete. The object of faith is what really matters more than anything else. Who is the object of our faith? It's God. It's Christ. That's where our faith is. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in our feelings. It's not even faith in necessarily a certain leader or the church. God provides those things and they're all good things. Those things are used to strengthen our faith. But if we're missing that God is the cornerstone, that Christ is the cornerstone, we've really, really missed something. All right, so the benefits of faith. Scripture says that Abraham was strengthened by his faith. Romans 4.20. No belief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He grew stronger in his faith. God says that when we have faith, it helps us to grow into maturity. You must give God opportunities to be faithful on his end. And that requires faith in Him. And so many times, like, well, God's not faithful. God's not faithful to the things. John's, the John 10-10. God's not faithful to that. But we give Him zero opportunity to be faithful. We don't trust in Him. We don't follow to Him. We don't listen to His words. We don't put His words, uh, meditate to Him. We don't sink them into our hearts. We don't obey. So we're like, oh, here we are. We go to church every Sunday. But we don't put anything into practice. We don't trust in God. Even though we're around god all the time there's no faith there so when you do your faith grows your relationship with god grows your character is shaped and defined and when you don't you don't grow into maturity when you exercise zero faith you stay the same spiritually you know some of us have been around so long we've been around for years some of you were born into like a religious or a christian life around other disciples and some of us should be leaders. Some of us should be people for our next church plant we're looking at, man, that person would be a great youth minister. Man, that person could, I could see them going on a Mizzou's campus or on a Carbondale's campus. I could see that person leading out the campus ministry. You know what? In, in five years or 10 years, when we send out another one, that person could be the lead evangelist. But we haven't exercised our faith. We haven't lived for him. We haven't become obedient to his words. We haven't let his words change our life, right? So scripture also says that faith gives glory to God. It exalts him. When we exercise faith and people can look at us and say, oh man, God is who God is, right? God is who he says he is, right? We like to live in these little bubbles and don't exercise our faith. By trusting God, you're visibly expressing your confidence in him. Now there's one thing that we need to know about that. God doesn't need us to give him confidence. But have you ever had someone who just really believes in you? How does that make you feel? It makes you feel good, right? It, that You know that person desires to be in a relationship. I used to have a hype guy for wrestling. His name is Big Mike Gagliano. He, he's crazy. He actually lives in Alaska, which is like the perfect place for Mike. He like hunts bears and like trout fish. He's like a nuts dude. And I would like, he wasn't related to me at all. But there were times when I was wrestling in college, that like three hours away, I'd look across the gym and but Big Mike would just be standing there waiting for me to get out of weigh-ins. I'm like, what are you doing here? I uh, came to pump you up. He's a big dude, like this, mustache, came to pump you up and he would stand behind me and he'd rub my shoulders and he'd be in my ear and be like, you're going to murder this guy. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to murder this guy. He's like, you're going to rip his head off. I'm like, I'm going to rip his head off. He's like, you're going to put it in a box and mail it to his mother. And I'm like, well, I don't know about all that. But, <laughs> but Mike, by the end of that talk, just so like, I'm ready to do this, right? So when you express confidence that you know that person is with you, right? And when we express confidence to God, God knows, that person's with me. When we live out our faith, that person is with me, heart and soul, moment by moment, every second, all day, every day. Right? Scripture also tells us that Abraham was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised through his faith. Romans 4.21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. It says that he was persuaded. In his faith, he saw God working, so it persuaded him to have more faith and to fully establish him in his foundation. Faith enables us to take possession of the promise. Right? Is that's why it was counted to him in righteousness. What was the promise that God made to him in Genesis 12? Let me read it to you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be a blessing through you. So blessings. Children, right? He hadn't had children. He was old, right? He was old. Sarah was old. They shouldn't have kids, but God blessed them through his faith. Right? Uh, Make your name great. Thousands of years later, we're still talking about Abraham. The father of faith. I tell you, in uh, thousands of years someone refers to anyone in this room as like the father or mother of faith. Wow, you did some great things on earth. right? And God promised to make his name great, and we're still talking about Abraham. God came through on his promise. He says, you will be a blessing, and you will bless those Around them, right? It's one thing to be a blessing. It's another, or to receive a blessing. It's another thing to be a blessing. Anyone can receive, right? But when you live in faith, it says you're a blessing to others. How can you bless others? Well, a relationship with God is a start, a changed eternity is a start, a best life in here with God and God's people. Well, that's a start, right? It's better to give than to receive. It's great to receive a blessing, but it's a whole other thing to be a blessing. He was made a great nation. He had many descendants, and through his bloodline came Christ. Just to name a few for Abraham. Protection. It says God is going to curse those who curse you. And every wrestling team, um, on every wrestling team, there's a little man, and we call it little man syndrome. John, do you have little man syndrome? Yeah, John's my buddy from Atlanta. John's a little man. John, I'm sure, he's just like every little man. He's going to run his mouth. Because you know, you've got the big, the upper class, the bigger weight wrestlers. They're with you, right? And we had every wrestler, I'm telling you, every team has one. It's either the 106, the 113, or the 120. One guy's going to run his mouth because he knows I got big 280-pound dude. He's got my back. Tanner, it's like, John, stand up. Tanner, stand up. John can talk crap because he knows Tanner has his back. (laughs) right, And when we look at God, God is big, bigger than Tanner. And we're smaller than John. And we can go out and we can live by faith because we know we have God's protection. God promises to be right there with us. We can go out, we can even make mistakes. But if it's in God's name and it's on faith, God is going to be right there with us. There are other promises that God gives to Abraham, and that's just a start. But one thing we need to know is God came through in every single promise that He gave to Abraham because of His faith and the way that He acted—a promise that we still reap the benefits from thousands of years later. God longs to work in our life like that. God longs to be a, to bless us and to use us as the, to be a blessing for others. But how do we do that? So whether I have a strong faith, a doubting faith, a little faith, or a dead faith, we, we could all use a stronger faith, right? So if I'm going to build my faith and revive my faith, I'm going to give you four things that you need to do. And like I said, uh, I used to do residential framing, so I'm going to go from like building a house. That's what we're going to do. So first, I must demolish the barriers to faith. Or I must demolish my barriers to faith. Barriers are things that prevent us from seeing God in our life. All right, so personal barriers. I ask people not to sit in this. Brett, where are you at? Are you over here, Brett? Brett, come on up here. Take your hat off, though. You're fine. All right. So Brett is the closest thing that we have to the Anglo-Saxon-looking Jesus. He's got his beard. All right, and we don't want to see Brett. So Brett, come stand here. All right, so, Here's the face. So for me, my barrier would be, first would be my parents, right? I'm going to steal these chairs. Oh. I should have disconnected all of them. All right, so my parents, I man, I used to see my dad beat up my mom, right? And it became a little bit harder. So if you're, if you're the seeker right here, it's a little bit harder for you to see Brett, right? And then I, my parents divorced Using us kids, all right? And manipulating us emotionally, physically, all right? Became a little bit harder. And then I started drinking. Alright, even a barrier to faith with me was my ability to wrestle. Right? Can you see him? But is he gone anywhere? He isn't gone anywhere, he's still there. But the barriers make it harder to see. No, you can't you're not gonna be able to see, right? So then my sister passing away last year. Alright? I became a barrier. That was sucked. It's so a little bit harder for you to see white Jesus over there. All right? So it becomes harder and harder to see. And that's what our barriers do. And until we're ready to deal with the barriers here, it's hard to see God. It's hard to know that white Jesus here, just kidding, right? That Jesus wants to do things in your life. All right? It makes it hard for you to see God longs to use you? That he wants to bless you and to use you to be a blessing for others? Alright, thanks. If you want to, that'd be great. It makes it hard for you to see that. Marie and I had miscarriages that became a barrier because, God, I know like you say you want to bless us, this doesn't feel like much of a blessing. But I can tell you that when you have faith through that stuff that God does strengthen you, um got tattoos on my body and one on my on my leg. to remind me of how my sister lived. I got one on my wrist of the first miscarriage that we had because I want to make a reminder of what God taught me in my faith throughout those situations. Right? And how he strengthened me and how, although the promise didn't look like the promise that I thought, he was still faithful to the promise. Right? I didn't expect my sister, to pass away at the age of 30. All right? I didn't expect when we got pregnant to hear halfway through that you're probably not going to have this kid. But in the end, God was faithful. All right? So we've all got barriers. So I'm asking you, if you were to stack chairs in front of you and between God, what would your barriers be? What are those things... You know, we live in a society of skeptics, and I don't believe that people were always that way. I don't believe that Adam and Eve were created. Doubt. But sin got in, and the garden skepticism was born. All right? When you look at, I don't believe when we're born that we're skeptical. I think that's why the Bible tells us to have the faith of a child. Just a, just a loving, I'm all in. My kids, children don't believe anything. They're great. When you have kids, mess up. I mean, I guess that's why people are skeptical. But when my kids were in the car and we'd be driving down the road and they would start fighting, you know those little wah, wah, wah on the side of the road? The things that make if you fall asleep, you know to go back on? I told my kids that it was the road monster. And that if they didn't stop fighting, the road monster was going to get them. So they'd start fighting and I'd go, nah, 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 and they'd go, the road monster? No, no, like, you guys better stop fighting. And they would shut up. All right? And so the kids. The kids will believe that stuff because they have just the faith, right? And they, they just believe. So God doesn't want us to be blind in our faith, but he also doesn't want us to be skeptical. Over time, your negative experiences, they stack up, right? They shape you. They adversely condition you. have doubt. They think that bad things are from the creator. That disappointment that leads to temptation. to believe in nothing or no one. Right? My disastrous childhood, like, there were things that I've seen and I know a lot of you guys have seen things like that. The things that happened in my childhood made me doubt. They conditioned me like, well, God loves me. Why did I have to be in the room the night my dad was beating up my mom? Or why did I have to live through a divorce like that? Right? I thought that God would never want to or never could use me. And being let down causes us to doubt the promises that are set before us. Right? The devil takes those negative experiences and he twists them and causes us to doubt. And the reason he can twist them is because not everyone deals with the chairs. Not ever fully. When I did construction, my favorite thing to hear during the day, favorite thing, is Steve. I work for Steve. And you know Steve Blair. He's real tall, but he's got a super high-pitched voice. And he's like, Hey, TC! Go get the sledge! That means I was about to get to demolish something because he knew how much I loved wielding a sledgehammer and wham and wham and I love destroying things. Guys, do you just love to just destroy things? Right. right? My son is five and he just likes picking things up and just throwing it onto the ground and seeing it in full break. He builds Lego things just to take them and smash them on the ground to see how far the pieces will fly. <laughs> we love destroying things except when it comes to our chairs, the walls and the barriers. But not that. Not that problem. I'm not going to give that to God. Right? That's my thing. That's my barrier. And I'd love to say that it's just guys, but I've been in ministry long enough to know it's the girls too. Right? Not that. I I get to hold on to that. That happened to me. Right? Sometimes you blame it on God. See, the devil, he watches for our weakness. Right? He knows that when the chairs are up, And they're wide, and maybe even the chairs get thicker, and we feel further away from God, right? He knows that person is away from God. I'm going to pounce on that person, right? When you think about what animals, the lions in the wilderness attack, it's not the strong ones that are with the pack; it's the slower ones, right? I'm telling you that if I'm in Alaska with my buddy Mike and we're running, I'm tripping Mike because that's the one that the devil goes for. He goes for the one that's fallen, the one that's sick. The one that has a weakness. You know, I showed my guys, and I talked about this last Sunday, a Mike Tyson video, and he talks about when he's in the ring. And Mike Tyson, how he intimidates people. He stands there, and he just watches. He follows. He follows. And he for that person to look away. And he said, when that person exposes one millisecond of weakness that he knows he has them, and that's what the devil's doing, he's going to take those barriers, he's going to pounce. So what's the solution to our barrier? I think the thing that we need to do is we need to truly encounter God. We need to truly encounter God. And I've met some, like, kind of famous people. I met Ozzie Smith in St. Louis. A lot of people have met Ozzie Smith. But for me growing up, you'd see him do his backflips, right? He's a shortstop for the Cardinals. And he would be like, dude, Ozzie Smith's the man. He's awesome. I got to meet Ozzie Smith. That, for me, as a kid, that was awesome. Um, uh, William Hung from American Idol. <laughs> met him, right? I uh, met uh, world championship disc golfers, world champion wrestlers, uh, Dan Dierdorf, famous football player, uh, uh, NFL analyst. There's been, I've been to concerts major league, but none of those people, uh, those encounters that I had were truly shattering and life-changing. I'm talking about a true life-changing encounter. Peter, John, and the rest of the apostles had encountered God in such a way that their lives and human history would never be the same again. In Acts 4, 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you. Rather than God, you must judge. But for us, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. All right? But you can't help but speak about what they had heard and what they had seen Jesus do. You see, they had had a true encounter with God. Though the walls that they had built up over their lives didn't matter because they had met God. They had been with him. They had walked with him. They believed, they were convicted about who God was and what he was saying was true. So ways we encounter God. We can do that through our circumstances, right? Things that are brought upon you by others. Abraham, his infertility, right? Noah, the impending rain. Like I said, he had never seen rain. The apostles, for them, hey, come follow me. All right, nets down, see you later. right, they had a a circumstance there. Uh, My wife, her crazy dad, Right? threatening to kill her brother. There were circumstances in her life that helped her to guide her to encounter God. Friend Jess and so many girls in her campus ministry being abused like, sexually by men that they trusted. Right? There was a circumstance put on them but that shaped their heart to truly be ready to encounter God. Uh, other guys in the ministry... Uh, Stefan and other guys, same thing: sexual abuse by trusted people, um, death of a family member, right? Uh, a girl in my ministry, her mom died right before she she started going to college, right? Circumstances, and the list goes on and on about people who were put in situations that prepared their hearts to truly encounter God, right? And the other way is through our consequences, things that you bring upon yourself. So you see, Paul, he had killed Christians; he was. Guilty, right? He was it later. said that he was ashamed of doing that. Right? Me, my drinking, sex, my attitude, self-indulgence. Others, our friend Marlon, who's actually in jail right now. Marlon was in a relationship with God. He decided to leave because the money, drugs and guns and things like that was too appealing. There was a woman and he, he literally ran his life. Cops came in, raided his house, with all kinds of stuff. Uh, at, at that time, he's like, you know what? I should have been with God the whole time. And just because he came into a relationship with God doesn't mean that he didn't have the consequences of it, but sometimes the consequences are the only way that we can see God, and we can truly encounter Him. But through it all, God must remain the cornerstone. We've got to build upon God, who He is, the object of our faith. In Acts 17:26 or 28, he made one man, every nation, of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, encounter him, and truly find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. You see, remember I said that when a chair stacked up, it felt like God wasn't close, right? You couldn't see him, but he hadn't moved. He's still right there, open arms, ready for you. So you got to start if you're going to build your faith with a true encounter of God. And some of us have forgotten what our encounters were. Some of us forgot what it meant when, we, when we, the circumstances of the consequences put us close to God. And we need to remember those things. So first, um, I must break down the barriers of faith. Second, I must develop on a good foundation. Faith starts with an encounter, a realization that you need God. With the barriers turned down, you have a ready heart but it expands by His Word and the changing of our heart. Matthew seven twenty four through 27 Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall down because it had been built and founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not listen to them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. So you see there's a difference between hearing and listening. James says that you deceive yourselves when you don't listen, when you hear and don't listen, right? And later in James it says, faith without deeds is dead. So we must listen. We need to act on his commands. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, we must act on his commands and we must not compromise the word of God. How many times in the New Testament does it say, stand firm, be firm, right? It's saying, stand firm in what I told you. The conviction is, is who I am and what I say is true. And when we compromise, we put ourselves above God and who he is. We say, you know what? My feelings are more important. Remember, feelings aren't faith. You know, the situation I'm in is more important. But God, what about this? That's not what God says. God says, go out and obey. Go out and listen. The repenting that Mackie was talking about, change your heart and change your life. That's what the NCV says. We must let God's words shape our hearts and our foundation in Him. So there are two faith-building aspects from His Word. First, there's His promises. What God longs to do in our life. Abraham, right? John tw- or Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. There's a promise there, a promise that God is going to be with you. John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life in the full. There's a promise there in his word and on the foundation is the saying, God to trust him. Trusting in God and his promises are a chance for us to be faithful. God fulfilling his promises is a chance for him to be faithful to us. But our trust and his fulfilling build faith in him. When we trust and we see him come through, it builds faith. You know what? Next time, I know God's been faithful because he's been faithful in X, Y, and Z before. So I'm going to act again, and it builds it up. And it's just like a muscle, right? If you work out one time, you're going to get stronger. If you work out two times, you, you develop a pattern, right? And you're working out, you're bench pressing, you're squatting. Right, It gives you confidence that you're going to be able to lift more weight. You're going to be able to do more. God is right there with you. So, But with every promise, there's a premise. right? So in his word, there's promises and premises. And it's what he expects of us. To be disciples. Students making students his students. To hold to his teachings. John eight thirty one, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The foundation must be built on God's words anything else, and it will crumble. See, the Bereans in Acts 17, they had noble character because they went to God's Word and they checked on what Paul was saying. Is this true? Is this what God wants of us? You can't take my word for it. right? And if anyone wants my notes ever, or, uh, ask me, I'll send it to you. Double-check me. If I'm wrong, come back and talk to me because I don't want to lead people astray. Romans 10, 14, and, uh, and then verse 17. Uh, how then will they call on Him and whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Heard what? Heard of God, right? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We build on the foundation, the word of Christ, right? So I must break down the barriers of faith, then I must develop a good foundation. And third. I must decorate your house in remembrance, and this is something. We have a rule in my house that frames don't go on a wall unless there's a picture on them. Our first house that we had, we had pictures, and it was like the little model families, right? And sometimes it's like a black family or Asian family, right? And they're just like all posing, and they're like, who are those people? It's like, oh, they came with the frame, right? But when you intentionally decorate a house, right, you need to do it in remembrance. A lot of the pictures on our wall, you don't put up just... Any picture you want, but the ones that mean something, right? When you walk into our house to the left, there's, there's pictures of people. There's some, me and my brother in law, right? There's pictures because you want to remember the things that are important. All throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites were reminded of their encounters with God, right? When Moses was talking and Joshua and David, they're always drawing back to the things that God had done, they're the times that God had been faithful when the people were being faithful. Right? And when we draw on those experiences, it builds our faith. Right? When we talk about reviving it, sometimes we've just forgotten the things that God have done in our life. Right? When God delivered them from Egypt, the Red Sea. Right? Remember. Um, remember the Word your God. Right? How many times have you just Google that? Remember the Word your God. Google that. Old Testament. It's there. It's all over the place. Have you forgotten your encounter? Have you forgotten what you were saved from? Your circumstances. Right? what God saved you out of, your consequences, the things that you did to warrant death. Right? Not death physically here on earth, but a spiritual death and being separated from God for all eternity. Some of you guys were raised in a Christian home, and there's nothing wrong with that. But some of you don't know what you were truly saved from because at some point in your family history, there was someone that was far from God. There's not a person in here that can say otherwise. And had that person, not generations ago, surrendered their life to God, and then raised their kids to surrender their life to God, and then raised their kids, or however many times we need to do that, you would be far from God. You would have grown up maybe in a household like mine, with divorce and violence and drugs, right? Or with abuse, like sexual abuse. Or, Or... the, the worst one of them all: a house where you think everything is just OK, but you're still far from God. So if you were raised in a Christian house, you were still saved from something, just not as directly as me or some of the people in my ministry, or some of the other people here.? We right? to remember, we need to decorate our house. We need to constantly, in our devos, I know our, our people get tired of this. What were you saved from? And we talk about it. And sometimes I feel like a broken record. I know, I feel like I talk about this all the time. But it's by design. Because if God's people, the people that actually saw the Red Sea parted, if they needed to be reminded of that, or you think, if I were there, I would never forget. Yeah, right. You were still saved. We all had our own Red Sea that we were saved from. And we forget. Like Mackie said, two days later, the devil gets into it, and You forget. So that's why our ministry, and I know Carrie does the same thing, we talk about what we are saved from. We decorate our house, we decorate our home, we decorate our life, and the things that we can remember, the faithfulness of God. Because when we do that, guess what? It builds our strength, and it builds our faith. It revives our faith. It can take a dead or dying faith and revive it. It can bring back a commitment to God and his purposes, and his plan, and his promises for not just your lives, but the lives of the people around you, on your campuses, and your families, and the people that you go to work with, the people that serve you in your, in your restaurants, the person that checks you out at their grocery counter, to everyone. Because the Bible says, as you go into the world, these promises are true. I am faithful. Act in faith. Believe who I am. Trust what I'm telling you. I want to work through you, but sometimes you won't let me. You let the barriers start to creep back up, right? And you start to doubt, and it pushes you away from God. So remember the things that God has done in your life. So when I truly encounter God, I break down the barriers of faith, but I must develop on a good foundation, and that foundation is God's Word. Remember, faith comes from hearing the Word, right? I must decorate in remembrance, and fourth, I must dedicate the house for God will use. And that house is your life. See, when you get saved, your life is no longer your life. It says that you died to sin. You died to serve. Right? And not just your life as you go into the world, but your past life, too. Your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups, the barriers, well, guess what? Those become a testament. Your testimony to who God is and that he's faithful. So when I talk about things like my parents and my, seeing my dad beat my mom and things with my sister, right? That hurts. I've had people ask me, why do you do that? Well, God saved me from that. and I don't want to help God save whoever from whatever they have. I don't know how many times I've been driving someone home from Cross Chat and I'm just driving along, driving along, and they start talking and I start talking about my daddy issues. And I'm driving and I notice, man, that person's kind of quiet. And I look over and there's just tears streaming down your face. It's like, man, my dad, I saw my dad beat my mom too. Or I'll talk about my sister and how she was abused by her stepdad. And I'll hear a guy or a girl say, you know what? I was abused too. Because when we dedicate your life to God, you build on that foundation. None of that stuff is yours anymore. It's all God's. All right? Because God says, as you go into the world, you take all your stuff with you and you use all that stuff. You get out of the way, you let God do it. Just like Mackie said. But you present God's faithfulness to other people and when you see I mean the coolest one of the coolest things I mean I've been married, I've had kids all that stuff was great but last night with Carla right when she surrendered her life and knowing that a couple of girls put their hearts out on the line for that, that's truly beautiful. It's amazing because those people decided to take God with him to dedicate that life to God. In Matthew 7, remember that represents your life. Regardless of the risk, I can tell you I've been hurt. I've been called a liar. I've been called a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. I've been called every name in the book trying to serve God. And I'm not saying I haven't made mistakes. I've made plenty. If you've been around me for five minutes, you know I'm Mr. Mistake Guy. Alright? There it is. Uh, Mackie, that was your chance, dude. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> right. I'm, but I have made a lot of mistakes and I've been hurt in a lot of ways by putting my heart out there. But I do that a thousand times over to see a Tanner or a Marley, Marquisha, Carla, Jess, all right? I'm just talking about the people from my ministry, JJ, to see those people surrender their life to God. And when you're truly dedicated, you're gonna have to do whatever it takes to further the mission, the promises of God. It builds our faith. It's just kind of like that circle, right? You put it out there, you see just even one person, and it builds it when you dedicate your house. So guys, just kind of in closing, we need to break down those barriers, right? And keep them down, because the barriers will come back up. Right? I forgive my dad today, I call my dad tomorrow, and here's how he ends every phone conversation. Oh, if you want, if you want to talk to me, call me. What? Like, all right, phone works both ways, Dad, and it doesn't inspire me to want to call you anymore. Well, guess what? A few more chairs stack up. I've got to take care of them chairs. And then when I further away from God. All right? So we break down the barriers. We develop on a foundation of God's Word. And God's Word alone. Not just me explaining it or Mackie explaining it, but God's Word is a thing that's got to come in and transform your heart and change your life. The best of foundations, the only foundation, is Christ is the cornerstone, right? I must decorate my house in remembrance and remember where God's brought me from and know that he's taking me to a wonderful place, right? And finally, I dedicate that house to God will use. A closing illustration. In a desert stands a water pump in the sand, right? And you're a lone traveler, Your canteen is empty. Have you ever been like really thirsty or out on a hot day and not had any water? You start. And then it just gets dry and it feels like a cat's tongue, right? Yeah, gross, right? And then you go and you come upon a big water pump. Have you ever, like the real water pumps? You can't just start pumping the water comes out. You gotta prime it with more water. And on that pump there's a note. And the note says, buried beneath this pump It's a canteen that's half full. Don't drink the water, but I'm telling you, dump a little on there, prime it a few times, and then dump the rest on, and you're going to have as much water as you could ever have. Right? And it's going to take faith to do this. Right? Don't drink the water, or the next person won't have it after you, but when you're done, fill the canteen back up and bury it, because when you bury it, it doesn't evaporate. Right? So what do you do? Do you trust and the sign? And prime it? Use that faith? Are you desperate enough to try something that's maybe you never truly tried in your life? Or do you selfishly take the water and keep it for yourself? Guys, all of that requires faith. There's a promise in his word, and we must live on those promises, obey his words, build up our foundation, dedicate the house, and always, always remember what God's done in our life.